I'm Tom McKinnon. And I'm Chip Granditz. This is How on Earth, the show that makes you smarter. Today is Tuesday, June 26th, 2012. Coming up, we talk about breasts, a natural and unnatural history with Boulder's own Florence Williams. Men do look at breasts. The question, though, is, is that why they evolved? There are a lot of feminist scholars who argue with that and say, this is ridiculous. Let's look at some other reasons breasts might have evolved, and let's look at what breasts do and what their function is. We begin with a look at some of the upcoming news in science. Coming up tonight at the Boulder Theater, Climate Change on Earth and Other Planets will feature a keynote address from Bill Nye and short presentations from a panel of distinguished climate scientists, including Dr. Jim Hansen of the Goddard Institute for Space Studies, Dr. David Grinspoon from the Denver Museum of Natural History and Science, Dr. Brian Toon, the Laboratory of Atmospheric and Space Physics, The panel, moderated by Bill Nye, will answer questions from the audience and lead a discussion on Earth's climate and comparisons with other solar system planets. That's coming up tonight at the Boulder Theater. But for now, stay tuned for our Summer Pledge Drive Science Show. We've got a great book to offer to those who call and pledge their support by calling 303-449-4885. The book, uh, the headline book, is Breasts, A Natural and Unnatural History with Boulder's own Florence Williams. And we'll be sharing an interview with the author in just a moment. But first, pledge drives are an excuse for, an, for our entire science team show team to get together and celebrate a great year of science and reporting on KGNU. With us in the studio now are... Ted Burnham. Brianna Draxler. Beth Bartel. And Jim Fullen. And I'm Shelley Schlender, and we're a great team. We've won awards this year for our science reporting, some of the top awards in the state for our science reporting, the small ragtag team of volunteers here at KGNU competing against some of the top other stations in the state. And it's thanks to you all that we're here. You you make it possible for us to be here at KGNU. So thank you to listeners who support the KGNU Science Show. Certainly people that have an interest in science, I think it starts from something when you're a child, you have a wonder about how things out there actually work. What makes it really happen? Perhaps you are a listener still full of wonder, listening to KGNU, wondering to yourself, how is it that the KGNU show, How on Earth, came to be, and why does it continue to go? It is not funded uh, by corporate profits. It is not funded by advertising that you listen to in between our segments. Uh, it is funded by the pledge drive money that KGNU gets, and the main passion of it, of course, is not the money. The, the main value of it comes from the volunteer power, from the people that uh, whose names you just heard now. Perhaps you have been someone listening there thinking, I'm a consumer of science journalism, but I'd like to be more directly involved. I think that most of the people here were at one time listening to the radio and decided that How on Earth was something that they wanted to be more intimately involved in. The easiest way to contribute to the show is to simply call 303-449-4885. If you're ready to jump to the next level, uh, stop in the radio show and introduce yourselves to us, and maybe you too can be producing science show on your community radio station, KGNU. So I think it's worth noting uh, what the significance of, of How on Earth is. Um, T- today, so many issues uh, have a, a technical basis to them. I mean, climate change comes to mind immediately, but uh, so many other minor things, species preservation. And so much of the mainstream media, either through will- willful ignorance 
or because they're trying to uh, uh, put forth a political agenda, they just flat out get it wrong. Okay, so uh, as Chip just said, KGNU doesn't have any uh, financial bias to swing a story one way or the other. And the staff on How on Earth, we know this stuff. I mean, I mean, most of the staff are scientists or engineers, and, and, and we bring the background. So, you know, we think it's a pretty important radio show. We, we hope you do, too. So uh, give us a call, 303 449 and when you give us that money from 303-449-4885, when you contribute your funds, you're contributing to a shoestring operation that makes the most of every penny, every fiber of this shoestring. We have here volunteers who make the science show possible. We're not a paid staff. We're all volunteers who have a variety of backgrounds. Ted Burnham, why don't you say a little bit about what the science show has meant to you? Well, Shelley, I'm a student, a grad student at CU, uh, studying journalism, and uh, I came into the field wanting to do science journalism. Uh, Boulder's a great town to do that. We've got an alphabet soup of different institutions doing world-class science, uh, not just at CU, but at uh, NIST and NCAR and uh, the LASP and, and all over the place. Um, and it's it's so exciting to be able to to take that science that's going on here and, and bring it to the, the listenership of KGNU uh, through working on How on Earth. And you're back from Washington, D.C., where you were an intern for NPR. That's right. They didn't put me on the radio, though. <laughs> and, and so you're back here looking at this as a way to build your career. That's right. Yeah. Um, NPR was a great experience, but KGNU uh, is, is a much more direct relationship with a, a local audience um, and a, a place where, as I said, there's tons of science going on. It's a really exciting town to do science journalism here. And then, Brianna Draxler, you're, this is going to be your last show. Yes, it is, unfortunately. Tell me this, what, what brought you to KGNU? So for me, um, I came to Boulder doing the master's program in environmental journalism. And so I wanted to focus on science. And it wasn't until I came in and started on the show that I realized how powerful it is to tell these stories through radio and how much more you can add being live and having a voice as opposed to just reading an article. So I think it was a great way to, to combine those forces. Well, and thank you for being part of the show, and thank you again to our listeners for making possible these opportunities for the journalists of the future. Beth Bartell, tell a bit about yourself. Um, yes, I am also a student at CU, a master's student finishing up, and I came in with a background in geology and geophysics. Um, I love science, but I love tons of other things as well, and so this show has given me an opportunity to pursue interest in science, but what I really love about this show is I can explore all types of different science. So um, every day, every Tuesday on this show is is full of new discoveries. I feel like on How on Earth we're able to take people along on those scientific discoveries and give people samples so you, the listener, get samples of all sorts of different discoveries of what's going on out there and also um, tidbits, some more in-depth interviews, but also tidbits with our headlines of, of what's going on in science. I think that really adds a lot of value. Jim Pullen, share your thoughts. Well, Beth, uh, Beth and I are actually pulling in the same boat because I'm a physicist and I've uh, been an aerospace engineer since uh, Ronald Reagan's days worked on a lot of different uh, big projects. But the funny thing about being a scientist or an engineer is that you have to specialize. And the great thing about How on Earth, as a team member, is that we get to look at the totality of science and engineering. And as everyone has said, there is such a great and diverse amount of that kind of work that's being done in this area. One never run, runs short of topics to, uh, to look at. And the value, I think, for all of us is that we get to interact with this community of extremely intelligent people. And we'd certainly like to encourage you to interact with us by calling us at 303-449-4885 and pledging. 
You know, it is very interesting to uh, contemplate the expanding scope of, of the scientific realm. In fact, when I look at the title of this book that uh, we're going to hear an interview from the author, uh, A Natural and Unnatural History, of course, it's a very clever title with a double entendre, but it brings to mind the fact that, uh, you know, what we think of science in a separate scientific mode of thinking uh, was really evolved out of earlier modes. In fact, right about the time How on Earth the KGNU Science Show came on the air, uh, what we currently know today as the Denver Museum of Nature and Science, I believe was called the Denver Natural History Museum. And natural history was sort of uh, the evolution from sort of philosophical thought and theological thought into a separate mode of scientific thought. And now that uh, the concept of natural history has been uh, applied together with unnatural history, what we like to think of as technology nowadays, but has been applied together with unnatural history in a clever entendre for the subtitle of our book, Breasts. Well, and you know, Chip, this is quite a book because it's by local author Florence Williams. She's not only local, but this is an issue close to home for her because in addition to the fascination that people have with breasts, for her it's been a health issue because in her family runs a great deal of breast cancer and uterine cancer, and she's been wondering about this. What is it about our world that makes these conditions more common, and why is she susceptible, and what is going on? Why, why are breasts such a sex symbol? Why are breasts such an issue of fear for somebody who has breast cancer in their family? And she does a fascinating amount of research into the kinds of toxins that are common in the world today that mean that they're common in breast milk and in fatty tissues such as breast. And all of this is in this great book that we would like to offer to you when you call and pledge your support here at 303-449-4885. And we'll be sharing some excerpts in just a bit. But first, uh, do you all want to introduce the first segment? that we'll be playing. Let's listen to Florence Williams uh, with KGNU's Maeve Conran talking about her new book, Breasts, A Natural and Unnatural History. We'll start with that big issue about eye candy. Did breasts evolve to please men or to feed babies? Well, it turns out some researchers down under have been doing a lot of research on the men's side. Let's listen in. So what these guys do is they put male college students and grad students uh, at the University of Wellington into a machine called an eye tracker, and they watch their pupils move across a screen that is projecting an image of uh, a frontally nude woman. And they can tell exactly how long the eyes linger on the breasts as opposed to other parts of her body. And then they change the image. So there are, you know, sort of women who are plump and women who are thin and women who have large breasts and women who have small breasts. And it's so funny because what they find, and this may, may not be surprising, is that men just look at breasts no matter what, no matter how big they are, no matter how small they are, no matter how attractive they rate the woman and overall, they look at her breasts. Good, that was the first place their eyes went to. It's the first place their eyes go to, and their eyes just come back, and they linger on the breasts. And so, of course, you know, Mae West, Jane Mansfield could have told you this uh, without spending a lot of money on a fancy scientific experiment. But but men do look at breasts. The, the question, though, is, is that why they evolved? And um, there are a lot of feminist scholars who argue with that and say, well, actually... This is ridiculous. You know, let's look at some other reasons breasts might have evolved, and let's look at what breasts do and what their function is, and let's look at how breasts, um, and let's look at what breasts look like. And so, when you do that, you realize that breasts are really comprised of fat, and um, that through our evolution, this this fatty deposit was actually really important to the survival of women and to their infants because 
uh, human women need to be plumper than other primates in order to even achieve pregnancy. And then their babies are born plumper as well. And their developing brains are bigger and they need more fat. And so these women argue, I think, really um, sort of uh, wisely and rationally that, that these breasts are fat and big and round and sort of lovely, really for, for the benefit of, of their babies and themselves. I mean, it's interesting you have that dichotomy, the male anthropologists or that school of thought thinks that, well, they evolved for us, for our pleasure. And then this research kind of reinforces that where feminists or just women anthropologists are like, well, actually, no, they, they do have a function here and it is to feed babies. Exactly. It's a funny debate. And I argue that it's actually an important debate because how we how we look at breasts really determines how we treat them. And because we live in a Western society that really uh, sexualizes breasts, um, sometimes we have a hard time taking them seriously as you know purveyors of this critically important infant food. And in fact, breastfeeding rates in the United States are sort of appallingly low. Um, uh, in Western Europe, there have been, there's been a lot of education about the importance of breast milk, and um, breastfeeding rates there are really high. But in in our country, certainly, um, they're still quite low. I think the the rates are something like 17% um, of women are still breastfeeding after six months, and um, the, uh, the a lot of the medical societies and pediatric societies recommend going a full year. Yeah, it's interesting. As a uh, as a father of, of children myself, I remember when our baby was born and we spoke to the pediatrician, and, and you do in, in Boulder certainly get a, a what is attempts to be a very scientific, and yet the pediatricians go out of their way to be not very judgmental about it, because I, I know for a fact that in Boulder, uh, some women, I think, feel like they're, they're not doing their proper role if they don't breastfeed for as long as possible. It's interesting to hear uh, this either-or way of addressing, you know, what is the evolutionary function of breasts. And I would highly recommend to the uh, interested reader out there, one of the greatest essays in the history of science is uh, The Spandrels of San Marcos by the late paleontologist and evolutionary biologist Stephen Jay Gould. He talks about how the pressures of evolutionary selection may evolve something for one reason, and yet uh, evolution being so clever may find additional reasons uh, for them uh, to, to take advantage of their environment. So I think this is uh, one case of that. Well, and the evolution of the science show is that this may have several reasons for why you want to call the science show and pledge your support at 303-449-4885. Do you want to hear about this debate that's going on about what is the evolutionary purpose of breast or are you interested in learning more about the safety of breast milk and toxins in our environment? You know, right now it's an interesting time, Chip, because we have these fires burning all around the front range and flame retardant being thrown on the fires and we're very glad that this can help put the fires out. But there are questions about whether or not we should have flame retardant in our homes. Uh, California is now looking to back down on flame retardant standards because they have become something that is so full of the question of do we get more benefit or do we get more cancer-causing chemicals? Yes, you know, I mean, uh, certainly there used to be a very Manichean uh, view of reality. You would say is something good or is it bad? As I think as you take on a more scientific outlook in your life, you realize that everything uh, has pros and cons and there's never an outright, uh, you know, let's do this because it's it's the good thing to do or let's not do this because it's the bad thing to do. Something in, in one realm of endeavor helps uh, cure a problem right away and then causes 
underlying lingering issues uh, whose manifestations are felt through the decades and centuries to follow. So that's what science is about many times. Well, how about if we listen to the next segment then of this book about breast, where Maeve Conran talks directly with Florence Williams about some of those issues of toxins in this supposedly very healthy substance, toxins that people have no idea are accumulating just because of the toxins in their home. So let's listen in. One of the major themes of my book is that modern life has really changed breasts. And you see that in breast milk almost, and you see that in breast milk uh, especially. We now pass on to our infants everything from flame retardants to pesticides to paint thinners. <laughs> there are just all sorts of jet, fu jet fuel ingredients, all sorts of, um, all sorts of um, novel substances that certainly infants never evolved with before. And so when I found out that breast milk contained some of these industrial compounds, I sent a sample of my breast milk to a lab in Germany that at the time was one of the few places in the world that was able to detect these really small levels of, of chemicals in um, body fluid. And what I found out really surprised me because I was living in a small town at the time and I ate a lot of organic food, I didn't smoke, I thought I was doing everything right for my babies. And it turned out that I had actually quite high levels of flame retardants <laughs> in my breast milk. And so that led me down a path of, well, what does this mean? What does it mean for our infants? And, and why, why, why do you have flame retardants in your breast milk? We have flame retardants in our breast milk because we are exposed to flame retardants throughout our daily life. At first, people thought maybe we're consuming these substances in food. But it turns out that the primary source of exposure is probably household dust, believe it or not, and office dust, because so many of our electronic equipment, so so much of our electronic equipment and so much of our furnish, furnishings, like um, stuffed furniture, um, what did they call that? Hang on, I'm thinking about this. Oh, so much of our upholstered furniture contains flame retardants. Really, anything made with foam or polyurethane has to be treated um, by California law and then sort of uh, by extension really nationally with flame retardants. And so uh, we ingest these substances orally. We also ingest them through our skin and um, we ingest them through our food. So we just have this chemical load, just us as humans living in the modern world, regardless of whether we're eating organic foods or using natural, I use that word loosely, cosmetics, just by being sitting on a sofa, having a computer, we're still absorbing all of these chemicals. We are. We don't realize it, but we're always walking through an invisible cloud of molecules. And uh, some of them are attracted to fat. And so that means that they accumulate in breast milk. And it also means they accumulate in breast tissue. And there are a lot of pesticides and flame retardants that fall into that category. And so it turns out that our breast milk does, does contain, you know, quite, quite a few of these compounds. And so I set out to learn what it meant. And it, it, I learned that it's actually very hard to find out because there's been very little research done on the health effects of these chemicals in humans. It's very hard to study. But uh, especially in the last 10 years, there's been a lot of research uh, in lab animals and looking at cell lines. And it's, it's kind of disturbing because what you realize is that even though we don't know very much, there's a lot of evidence to indicate that these compounds may affect things like thyroid, our thyroid gland and um, the thyroid receptors 
in our bodies. And th thyroid hormones, as well as other hormones, are really important for things like um, neurodevelopment of infants and for regulating a lot of functions in our bodies. And so even though we don't know exactly what it means, I think a lot of parents probably share my feeling of precaution that if we don't know what it means, you know, let's get rid of these things in our to the extent possible in our furniture and in our electronics and replace them with safer chemicals. And the fact that they are so ubiquitous, these chemicals, I mean, it really goes back to the power of the chemical lobby. Well, it does. In the United States, we have the highest levels of these flame retardants in our breast milk, much higher, 10 to 100 times higher than um, than people in, in other parts of the world. And it's really because the flame retardant lobby has been so successful in requiring legislation or has been so successful in passing legislation that requires flame retardants. Um, and so there have been some attempts in California to amend the laws um, to take flame retardants out of these chemicals. It's interesting because there, there actually is no evidence that flame retardants save lives. What, what's been shown is that when you have a house fire and there are a lot of flame retardant chemicals, those chemicals actually contribute to more toxic smoke and that, of course, is a major source of death. And so the flame retardants may not really be helping save lives. So why do we have them? Let's get rid of them. You know, one of the things that's so interesting about uh, listening to this feature uh, and about this book, Breasts, A Natural and Unnatural History by local author Florence Williams, is the variety of science that, that she's bringing into this topic. I've heard chemistry. I've heard uh, human health and nutrition. I've heard environmental science. I've heard social science and feminist theory. Uh, and that's something that we try and do with the science show, How on Earth, here on KGNU, is bring in a variety of science uh, and, and tackle all different kinds of topics. And if you appreciate that, please give us a call at 303-449-4885 to pledge your support to KGNU and to grab a copy of, uh, of this book, Breasts, A Natural and Unnatural History. And speaking of variety, if uh, if the breast book isn't your thing, we've got another book here for you that you could choose instead. It is called Engineering Happiness, A New Approach for Building a Joyful Life. It ties in very well with the show Following, How on Earth Every Week, Alan Watts. And you may remember that a couple of weeks ago, our one of our hosts, Susan Moran, interviewed one of the authors of this book, Rakesh Saran, and you can check that interview out on our archives at howonearthradio.org, which is one of the great services that we provide all volunteer. You can go to the archive and listen to any of our shows. So if you're interested in that book, please go ahead and again, call in, pledge your support, 303-449-4885. We would love to hear from you. That's all for this edition of How on Earth. Our executive producer is Joel Parker. This week's show was produced by Shelley Schlender and was engineered by Jim Pullen. Our theme music was written and produced by Josh Cutler. Visit our website at howonearthradio.org to find past episodes, extended interviews, and you can subscribe to our podcast through iTunes. For How on Earth, the KGNU Science Show, I'm Tom McKinnon. And keep those pledge calls coming in to 303-449-4885. And I'm Chip Granditz, and the phone number of the day, 303-449-4885.